the only reason why we try to predict the future is not really to be right or wrong, but to be helpful, to try and help us guide our decisions today. And so we're really just kind of trying to predict the present, which is hard enough. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Rodney Evans. Hey there. Uh, Today, we are also joined by Kevin Kelly, uh, who needs no introduction, but is also the senior maverick at Wired and the author of a bunch of books that made me, you know, shape and change my career. Um, Kevin, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure and delight to be here. Thank you. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the uh, very small topic of the future. Um, but, but before we do that, we have to check in because we check in at the beginning of every podcast. We have to. And we, we would must. clearly be fired enjoy it. from this job if we didn't. Yes. So, uh, so Kevin, hopefully you are down to participate in our check-in round where I ask each of us the same question. And the question that I have for today is a bit meta. It is... What is one question that we should be asking ourselves right now? Aaron, mm. why don't you kick us off? Okay. Um, the, the question I've been really confronted with being just sort of trapped at home and, and with less, less on the plate lately is, what do I really want to do with my time? Not what do I need to do, not, mm-hmm. not, not, not what must I do, but what do I want to do and what makes me feel you know, healthy and connected and sustainable. And I've been experimenting with that with some really bad habits and some really good habits, both on a day-to-day basis. Nice. Awesome. Kevin, what about you? What's one question that we should be asking ourselves? Um, I think in this time of huge uncertainty, I think the question that I am asking myself and might be something others would ask is what, Am I wrong about? What are we wrong about? And I think um, when you kind of look in forward into the future, we're really shaped by a lot of our assumptions that we don't question. Mm-hmm. And um, I am certain that we're really wrong about some big things, but of course, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and so I'm always trying to test myself to be open to being really, really wrong about some basic assumptions uh, that we now hold. So, so they'll be less surprised when the future does unfold in a certain different direction. Mm. Fantastic. For me, a question that I would like for us to be asking ourselves collectively, and I certainly am individually, is how do we come out of this unprecedented time with a truly new normal. Mm. We have this moment to shed and shape and consider all of the ways that, uh, you know, our own behaviors and patterns and systems led to this moment. And how do we not just recreate all of the worst parts of ourselves and our society on the other <laughs> side of it? So, uh, so <laughs> Back I'm, to the norm. I'm, I'm asking, I'm asking that question multiple times every day, particularly as I read Twitter. Uh, Okay, so Kevin, we're super excited to have you here to talk about the future and just sort of see where it all goes. Um, Let's just start with a really simple one, which is, is it possible to predict the future? Or to what extent do you think it's possible? So I, I, I think it's not very possible to predict um, the future in any kind of specific detail that as we might 
want to that um there is a very very complicated system of this society with you know seven eight billion people all interacting which makes um any kind of um uh deterministic system really unlikely um having said that we can't really predict the future in any detail there are things about these kinds of systems that are predictable because they are systems and so there are some things that we should expect to continue for one thing so so one of the true things we can say about these large complicated systems is that mostly they're going to be doing what they did yesterday so at one level there's um there are all the things that are probably don't change very much and that's kind of a prediction to say well you know a lot of the stuff is just going to continue along as it was um so so my, my vision is that in general um we can we can predict some kind of trends some kind of general outlines as if this was like a river going down a valley it's meandering but we can kind of we can't predict where the exact course of that water is going to be but we can say well it's going to flow in this valley and here are the limits to where it goes back and mm -hmm. forth and we can generally say it's going to go for certain downhill and so um so we can kind of say some things about the future and even though we can't make some specific uh predictions we can still predict certain things which are useful and so um so that's kind of a long way of saying we can can't predict the future in detail but we can predict some parts of the future in general form and when you're thinking about that particularly in a moment like this where maybe the the near-term future is a little bit harder to see what what kinds of thinking tools or lenses do you use like what you know are you looking at human behavior patterns are you looking at trends i know in your book inevitables you explored a lot of like kind of techno human patterns just talk a little bit about what kinds of lenses you like to put on that most of the really good futurists that i know and i would say good in the sense of being um maybe above average and being able to talk about where we've come are um people who have become really good historians and so there is um there is a sense in which kind of the first fundamental take on things is to is to take a long running start is to is to look at what's been going on because in mm -hmm. fact um a lot of what will be around tomorrow is what has, has been here for a while and totally e even in technology that the, the people forget that if you look around yourself right now today wherever you are most of the technology that it's within arm's reach of you is old stuff is old mm -hmm. inventions have been around for a long time concrete electrical lighting you know um wooden tables whatever it is it's it's going to be mostly old stuff and in the future whether it's 100 years or even 500 years most of the stuff is going to be old stuff mm. things that were invented long ago um and just as we look around life today in biology and most of the biomass on this planet are ancient forms of bacteria um <laughs> And even, you know, even, you know, the grasses and stuff, it's, it's most of the biomass. We we're enamored of these really rare charismatic creatures that we make nature 
movie is about, which actually are very, very tiny part right. of the whole system. And so um, we are often kind of blindsided by the novelty and newness of, of the technologies that are kind of new and they're not quite working and they're just stuff that was recently invented. Um, but in fact, most of our lives are being governed by stuff that has been around for a long time. So, so going back into the past is one of the first ways that we look at and we try to find, you know, ongoing um, trends or behaviors or that dynamics that have been going on for a while. And, you know, probably statistically will continue. So, I mean, an example for me is progress. So progress is not the mark of human endeavor, but over the last 200 years, it has been. So, mm -hmm. so, so there's, there's been a sense for 200 years, despite wars and all kinds of things, there has been a few percent um, improvement um, over time. And um, it's not guaranteed that that would continue, but that's statistically very likely to continue if we have everything else that makes progress going. So going back into the past for, for one thing. And um, the second the second thing is, is um, I try to, and I think it's really good that, that we, um, you know, going back to what I was saying in the beginning is, is to open our mind to possibilities and believing in the impossible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So a lot of sort of what happens seems unlikely at that time. What, what, what will happen is likely at, you know, what will be normal tomorrow or in the future can seem unlikely at this moment. Right. And just as some of the things that we have today would be kind of unlikely someone, you know, 100, 200 years ago. Um, if you asked, told farmers that in America that most of their descendants would never farm again, that they're the last in their ancient lineage of farmers, they would never farm again. They would say, what were they going to be doing? Or and even 50, 60 years ago. I mean, you look at 50, an episode of the Jetsons ago. and nobody right. has a handheld. It's like, right. they totally miss that. So we would say, well, we're going to be web designers and yoga teachers and <laughs> stuff. And they say, what? That, that's ridiculous. It, people pay you for that? And so I think part of you know looking into the future is trying to be open to the improbable and impossible. And it's a very fine line because when you start to talk about the future and you trot out something that seems improbable. If it's too improbable, no one's going to believe you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, if it's not improbable time. enough, then it's unlikely to be true. And so there's a really kind of fine line between being helpful and, and describing something that's unlikely and still plausible. You know, the only reason where we, try to predict the future is not really to be right or wrong, but to be helpful, to try and help us guide our decisions today. And so we're, we're really just kind of try, trying to predict the, the present, which is hard enough. I mean, <laughs> to actually try to see what's going on. Right, what's actually be, happening. Yeah, right, what that would be mean? the third thing that we're saying is, is, is really, so, so one thing is you look to the past, the second one is you you kind of believe the impossible in the future. And the third one is you really, really try to understand what's actually going on right now today, which is much harder than it, than it sounds. Yeah. It's, it's 
I'm thinking, I'm thinking as you're saying all of this, Kevin, there are a couple of follow-up things that I just want to ask you about, which is a lot of it feels like a way of thinking or uh, certain kinds of questioning to do. If you were someone early in your journey as a futurist thinker, like how do you help people get into that mindset? Because yeah. it sounds exactly intuitively right. And I'm also like, yeah, cool. How do how would I do that? Yeah. So I, I did this beautiful exercise with Brian Eno, who is one of the most um, mm-hmm. creative thinkers that I know about. He's not just a musician or a painter. He's actually a very um, interesting thinker. And, and um, you've heard maybe the term lateral thinking. Mm-hmm. He, he's one of the most lateral thinkers that I know about. And we did, um, there are exercises. There are kind of like tricks. There are, methods that can aid um you just it's like if you were a painter or a photographer or artist there are there are kind of methods about noticing i mean a lot of what comedians and artists do is they're noticing things mm-hmm. and they're paying attention to things and so there are there are ways you can kind of train yourself to to pay attention and but there's also i, I think a way in which you can kind of train yourself to be imaginative and to 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 be thinking and that's i think maybe the quality that i think is necessary when thinking about the future is is to be imaginative and again um transcending the the things that everybody knows because often most of what everybody knows is true mm-hmm. right I mean, every, but a lot of the things everybody knows is also not true and it's right it's hard to i mean you can't just because someone something everybody knows, you can't deny that, reject it. You, there, there's kind of an art in this kind of um, a creative way of um, going beyond your assumptions and looking at things a little differently. And so, um, one of those tricks is to um, we uh, we call them unthinkables, is to kind of mm-hmm. go through things that that seem to be unthinkable and to try to make a case for them to try to say well you know your first reaction was that's impossible and then you say well what if someone came back from the future and they told you that it really was that way how would we have gotten there what would have happened along the way to so that we got there and so that 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 exercise of kind of forcing yourself to imagine a different way and, and like as if you were an alien it's, mm-hmm. it's sort of one of the ways the the um the other way um i think is what i call like listening to the technology listening to science science is in the business of of trying to not let us fool ourselves as trying to <laughs> um um help us it's the way that we know things for sure but we don't really ever know them for sure. We know them kind of temporarily. and But it's this way of kind of testing things. And so I think paying attention to science, the things that it finds out, um, which often start off with somebody looking at something weird that doesn't make any sense, those anomalies. And so they're, they're kind of just, you're looking at the odd things, the things that kind of don't have a good explanation. And so so in that kind of, in the weirdness of the world, in the fringes, in that, in those areas where um, um, there's a little bit of evidence that what we thought was true might not be, and I think that that sense of going to the edges, going to 
going to science, which is, you know, the, the, lives at the frontier and the edge. I think that's a second way of um, kind of spending time so that you can um, become better at um, imagining what could be. Yeah, those are amazing exercises to go through. And just like as a person who spends most of my time working in really large organizations, a few things really resonate with me about what you said that I just want to say out loud to all of my homies that are working in those bureaucracies right now. One is like in the quality of noticing and, um, you know, sort of being a world-class noticer, there is like a, there is a necessity to suspend judgment in that Mm -hmm. if you're going to just pay attention. And then when you talk about being imaginative in terms of the future, that also asks you to like suspend some judgmental and some controlling behaviors. It's like a lot of what you're describing is in some ways like counterintuitive to the way that people want to think about the future inside of systems. But I mean, it makes absolute sense. And you're absolutely right. And even when you talk about the odd things on the fringes, it's like how many times in a company is there a thing that pops or a product that pops or a piece of data that pops, but because it doesn't fit into a rational construct, it gets ignored rather than someone saying like, huh, what's going on? Let's get more curious about that. So I think those exercises would be so helpful to just get people out of the typical way of being in a lot of systems you're absolutely right and and that sense of trying to look at the edges and the the thing that was unnoticed that maybe we should pay more attention to is also part of the reason why diversity is so important Mm. in organizations because you have people who can look at something a little differently the 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 challenge with um you know diversity and the challenge with these sort of marginal signals of the edge is that most of the time they aren't important. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, there's, right. there's a crazy guy on the edge who's, you know, who's got tinfoil on his head and stuff, but, <laughs> but he may say something that actually is profound in that, yeah. that moment, you, you, you know, it's, it's very difficult to kind of um, navigate you, your way through it. So there is kind of a, an art to it. There is, there is a little bit of, you know, having other ways to test these things as as they're brought forth, and 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 that is sort of, you know, that's sort of the the craft part mm-hmm. of of dealing with because you can't just look at everything out on the fringes because then you're just swamped with um, lots of stuff that doesn't go anywhere. Most startups fail. How do you find the f- <laughs> the one percent that aren't going to fail? Well, that's a that's a craft. That's an art. Um, and so, um, uh, but but it is important that that we have these diversities of viewpoints, diversities of backgrounds, diversities of uh, um, different ways of of working, and uh, different styles of of work. All these things are important because um, they help find those things more than an homogenous monolithic mm-hmm. system or culture would uh, and but you know having said that you need that you need, you need that homogeneous core there, there's lots of good things that that does you know you need that commonality you, you you have to have a system that has both those attributes 
we always talk on this show that every everything about good organization and systems design is a bit of a paradox or a polarity right. where right. it's like we need coherence but not too much right exactly you know we need right. to listen to the fringe but not 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 overly indexed <laughs> yeah, and right, so right, yeah exactly. it's all about like this this goldilocks game of balance right. which is actually what i think you know, real, real systems management looks like these Absolutely. days. Well, I am I mean, curious. This, this is what, this is what biology does too. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's, it's, um, not, it's, you know, the, 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 I love the analogy of your, of your hand. Like if your hand is too loose, it just flops around. If it's too tight, it's a fist, but in between the, there is this, um, you know, your, your dexterous manipulability comes from this in-between state where it's neither too rigid nor too floppy. Right. And it's a hand. We know it's a hand. Like that's right. the level of coherence I need, you know, right. my hand is a hand, <laughs> you know, and then if it gets worse than that, then it's too much. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious, uh, given that we have been confronted with some new data about humanity and markets and, you know, all these things that are going on right now, has in what way has the novel coronavirus changed or reinforced your thoughts about the future or people or both? Well, you know, I, I did have one kind of realization, which was, you know, let's say 10 years ago, you would sort of say, okay, you know, in, in America in 2020, there's going to be this pandemic <laughs> and they're going to close down uh everything you're right. gonna be you're gonna stay in you have to stay, stay inside and so you would say, you would say well the next thing that's gonna happen is there's gonna be riots on the street and people are gonna be shooting each other right and, and that didn't happen mm-hmm. that did not happen no there's even so, still milk at the grocery store i was there yeah this morning i know and with and gloves and a mask are, but they're, you know, they're, they're kind of walking around walking their dogs it's like that craziness that you the, any anybody in the business of writing stories about the future would, would suggest that, that would be the thing that would happen right away, right? And, and it didn't. So, so um, I think that's important. I think that's really important because um, uh, it suggests that you know our, maybe our civilization runs a little deeper than we than we give it credit for. Mm. That. Um, um, I mean, it's not to say this won't ever, this won't happen if we kept going for another year or two years, who knows, but, um, it's certainly not, it's certainly more robust than I think we thought. Yeah. And, a small push wasn't enough. Right. And so, um, so that gives me, that gives me a lot of optimism about, um, our ability to try and, um, you know, find our way through this, um, you know, there is right now. You know, as Rodney says, there's a kind of a sense of like well, this is a reset button. We get to reset things, and um, I think there is uh, a certain amount of, of that. Um, but one of the things that I think is going to be clear is that a pandemic is sort of going to be like we're in now the pandemic zone. Our urbanization, whatever it is, seventy-five percent urban on the planet. This, this, this cheap travel, all this kind of stuff has has made a world in which this is sort of like our new illness. And and whether it's Corona, COVID nineteen, or whatever comes next, twenty twenty one, there'll be others. And so I think we now have to kind of you know get ready and, and figure out well like. What is our proper response? Is it to close down? Is it to have social distancing? You know, what is it? And will 
you know, we'll, we'll, we'll invent systems for this because it will happen again. Mm-hmm. And presumably, um, you know, we'll learn from it and um, it will happen in a different way. And we'll have, no matter what the virus is, we'll have a little bit of a, a little bit more prepared for it, you know, and, and then the, the question is, well, you know, is it capable of bringing us together? Will globalization increase or will we have an allergic reaction to it? Um, that's where we get the reset button. That's where we get to choose. Uh, you know, I have my hopes about how it is that we're going to go, but uh, I think it's still early to make a prediction about which way we are going to go. Hmm. Just, I'm so curious about sort of where you started in that answer around, uh, you know, there being an assumption or a prediction that when something like this happens, it's like, you know, riots and chaos. And I am not a person who, you know, writes about the future or, or thinks deeply in the same way that you and your peers do. But where my mind goes when I hear something like that is like, I feel like similar to water sort of flowing downstream, like I sense that human beings adapt quickly, but as incrementally as possible, usually. So it's interesting to me that there would be an assumption that that's the response, because my intuitive assumption is people will actually change as little as they possibly can change. (laughs) And for me, like, you know, doing my job here instead of on a plane or like, you know, watching Netflix with a friend on video instead of on my couch, like that's the level of change that I'm doing because it's (laughs) the level I have to do. And I'm not really doing any more than that so like how does that work like the sort of more radical prediction versus um human nature's basic desire to retain the status quo no i i think you're absolutely right that that for all that we talk about you know our human love for novelty in actual fact we also don't want to change you know, it's, 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 that's another one of those paradoxes where, where we, we crave both, you know, stability for ourselves and change for other people, basically. And so, um, that is so true. I, I think, I think, um, um, you know, if, if, you know, if we have to um, imagine, you know, if this virus would, would get worse or if we had another one that was worse, um, that uh, the the parts where we don't change um, are something we should we shouldn't forget about. Jeff Bezos, Amazon founder, made a really I thought a really profound statement where he said he wanted to make a business that was based on the on on the things that didn't change. And he said, "What's not going to change is people want more selection and cheaper prices." It says that's going to be true forever. I want to make a business around that, and so um, and so I, 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 I do think that while you know we people like myself are looking for all the new things that um, you know looking and paying attention to the things that aren't going to change um, is also uh, a, a very powerful lens to to try and look at the future and to say well you know what you know families, uh, you know, the bond of children, um, you know, um, the need for belonging, all those things are very fundamental and we can kind of extend those and assume that they're going to be there for, for a very long time. What, what kind of a world do we 
does that make? And so, um, in some uh, ways it's yeah. the two together yes. that is so powerful, right? Like Amazon didn't just recognize that we like low prices and quality. They also recognized we were going to buy friggin' everything online. Right. And nobody was doing that at the time. So it's, it's this weird collision of one insight about something that will change with a bunch of insights about things that won't change. That seems to be really powerful. You, that's that's you're absolutely right. And it's not just that um, no one believed it, but the people actually denied it. People, right, they actively thought it they was actively. Insane. I mean, I remember a, a New York times technology writer who said that never in the history <laughs> of the world would people ever buy cars online where they were buy a banana online it was, it was just absolute categorical refusal to believe that that was possible and so you're right it is that combination of of believing or understanding that that both of those dynamics are at work the the, the unchanging nature and this uh, idea that that we could have new ways of maybe exhibiting those same drives along those lines i'm i'm curious uh you know one of your recent books, The Inevitables, um, there were a lot of statements made in there about things that were going to happen or that were going to shape the future. How has the pandemic maybe accelerated mm. some of those patterns or mm -hmm. challenged some of those patterns? Have you thought about that yet? Um, not too much. Um, you know, as Rodney says, my, my, my for better or worse, my day has not changed at all. <laughs> I've been working at home for <laughs> For decades, uh, I've been, you know, do Zencaster and Pocket. You know, I mean, I, so, so, so I have not <laughs> seen a lot of change other than I'm now wearing a mask mm -hmm. uh, when I'm interacting with people outside. Um, so, which, by the way, is sort of the normal thing in Japan. Right. I mean, anyway, we, and you've already been used to that on your travels. We could get to that point where, you know, wearing masks in dense areas might become the norm that that's not unbelievable um so so uh um so far um yeah i mean i i, I think that the, the the thing that people are discovering is that you know um doing teleconferencing zooming this kind of remote stuff um had more viability than maybe they thought Mm -hmm. because they never, maybe they tried it, but they never really forced to, to kind of really do their work that way. Um, even, even though that technology that we're using is at least two decades old, hasn't changed at all. It's, it's really, it's sort of remarkable how unchanged this like zoom is. I mean, that's, <laughs> right. we had that Slack is just ago. in room chat and zoom is just right. like, it's like old video protocol. Yeah. And so, um, and so I, I guess, um, the only thing I see is that I think I could imagine, you know, the things I've been talking about that haven't happened, like, you know, VR and AR, um, maybe being accelerated um, in terms of development. Um, but I, I'm not sure, um, you know, electronic voting or kinds of doing other work by remote, uh, Lee, I think is possible. I, I, I don't know if I talked about Inevitable, but I have talked about other places where I thought working remote was a mode that would become normal for everybody, even if they weren't remote. That right, you would right. you would work remotely next to the person sitting sitting next to you in an office. That you would you would take on those behaviors, those technologies, and so um, uh, so I could maybe see that happening. 
But I, I, I would say in general, I am still in the uncertain mode about the coronavirus in terms of what its long-term impact is going to be. Like you, I hope that this opportunity would make us move in the direction that I would want, that I wanted even before the virus, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that would be my desires. I don't know. I, I, I think the uncertainty around it is so huge. And again, going back to what I was saying, I think our understanding of this is actually, we're, we're at the really beginning. Uh, I think there's lots of things we don't understand about the virus that we're going to be kind of surprised by later on. Um, there's just some weird um, heterogeneity in the way it kind of displays itself around the world that we don't understand. And so um, uh, I, I, when I look out with the lens of looking over the, the coronavirus and saying, what impact does it have? To me, I, I feel that it's just really, really uncertain. Um, and the best way, one of the techniques that we use in the business for dealing with that is to have scenarios, plural, is to have yeah. multiple visions. And the intent of that is to rehearse kind of the corner cases of, of what would happen so that when whatever does happen in that field is not a surprise to yeah, us. Yeah, we have some preparedness. We're prepared for those those educations, knowing that what happens in the middle, we're, we're still covered. And so, um, so that's the value of this process called scenario thinking, um, which is that you're kind of mapping out the, the the valley, the field, the limits of what could be, so that you can prepare for whatever way it goes. And I think that's probably we ha what we have to do with the coronavirus is is really. Um, have multiple scenarios. Yeah, and it would have been great if we had done that before. <laughs> well, in fact, we have. I, I was involved with them. Right. Uh, uh, yes, I was involved with a, a number of scenarios, things with pandemics. True, um, true. And those were all sitting on shelves. Yeah, they're all out there. They're just they were not out being there. They were, they were known from the people who were involved. And, you know, like the con movie Contagion with um, Larry Brilliant was involved, and we were involved in... Um, that was a scenario. It was one of the scenarios, but not the only one. Um, so, so, so they were known and available. Um, but you have to have leadership who make use of that um, resource. No doubt. It's funny you mentioned uh, VR and AR because in a prior recording, Rodney and I were joking that like, had it been just a little bit further along, this mm -hmm. would have been its shining moment, mm -hmm. right? Like if everybody yeah. had an Oculus at home already, right. Right. it would have been, you know, gangbusters. But Right. They missed the wave, so. And, you know, my vision, my current kind of the way I would describe this AR world and the VR world, but mostly AR, is, is smart glasses. And so mm -hmm. if you could pick up a pair of glasses that was sitting next to your monitor and put them on and have a little bit of a more spatial view by putting on those smart glasses um, that enabled you to kind of see uh, a, a room full of people and talk to them with your looking them in the eye. The Iron Man glasses. Um, would you pick them up and wear them? Absolutely, hundred percent. All day. You you definitely would do that. And um, so yeah, so I think we're I think we're kind of a decade. I think that's still that's that's a decade in terms of the mainstream adoption of that. So if this had happened a decade later, um, we would be there. But I suspect we are going to see. Um, you know, viruses come through again in the no next doubt. Uh, one final question for you, Kevin. 
Um, is there a gap between the future that you expect and the future that you want to see? And if so, what is that gap? Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I'm not much of a worrier and even in technology, but um, the, the one thing that I'm sort of unhappy with is the, um, the state of say, what we'll call it broadly uh, science fiction. Uh, and um, so most of us, our, our visions of the future are shaped by the books and primarily the movies that we see. It's, it's inevitable because there are hundreds of millions of dollars put into these uh, stories and they're very well done and they're very, they're, 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 they're supremely crafted and the people who tell these stories know how to tell a story and all of them are dystopian. <laughs> okay. So, so, so because it just makes a better story, right? Because you, you, have to have, you have to have villains. You've got, you've got to have all this stuff, conflict and stuff. And so a, um, a kind of a, a very optimistic view of the future is or very rare. And, and I would, I would describe an optimistic view as a future that, that you or I would want to live in. So like, okay. Um, you know, a story about a hundred years from now, when we have ubiquitous artificial intelligence, ubiquitous augmented reality, ubiquitous gene editing, ubiquitous monitoring, surveillance, and tell me, uh, you know, and then how, does that all work together? So I actually want to live there. That's a that's actually a very difficult thing to it's do. It's a tough puzzle. It's a tough puzzle, and I think part part of what I am trying to do is to describe that future because my belief is that um, it's very hard to make a future unless you can imagine it beforehand, unless you can see it, unless you can envision it. It's, it's hard to make one of those kind of, it's hard to get to one of those futures accidentally. And so, um, and so I think the idea of having a picture in our head really helps make it come about. And if the actual influence of science fiction on, on the real world was ever really catalog, it would be immense. People would say, yeah, I, all the kind of people working on the iPhone who, who saw the communicator in Star Trek and said, that was, I want to make that thing or the tricorder in health. So they're, 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 so having a vision of, of where we want to head to is really, really important, particularly in the kind of cultural, social parts of it, not just the tech in terms of imagining a world. And so, um, so what I'm in my work trying to do is to, is to imagine this very tech, techie world that has all these things and to, to describe a way in which it's a world that I want to live in. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the ideal way to do that would be then you, you would backtrack from that and you would, um, you know, have, well, if we were going to have it in a hundred years, what we would need in 50 years and then yeah, make it happen in 20 years. And then you can start to direct our ways to that. And then the futurist business, that's called a normative scenario. That's, <laughs> that's when where you're choosing to make that the norm. And um, that's a little different process than just trying to imagine what might be, because often what happens is not so much what you want to happen, but that's what's going to happen. And so um, that gap, as you call it, is um, for me, I think that my role and what I can bring and what I'm good at is actually just trying to describe that vision to actually, to, to actually 
paint that picture to to to, to try to make it in a, a plausible world it's very difficult to do for several reasons and among them is the fact that um these are all interacting things and if you have if you've got you know i don't know if you've got laser things over here then you've got to have laser guns over there and you have to have this and so you um it, it, it's a complicated complex system with many variables and it's very hard to imagine that and the second thing is there are lots of technologies like um big data monitoring and surveillance where we have only a single vision of what the future of that is and that's 1984 big brother and to imagine civilized versions of ubiquitous tracking is really really difficult so so those are the kinds of things that make imagining that world hard well certainly i hope that we can all find a future that we'd actually be excited to live in uh, that feels like a really great place to draw things to a close kevin thank you so much for your time it has been an absolute pleasure having you on it's really really been a joy and a lot of fun and i appreciate you asking great questions so y'all we really appreciate the reviews that you've been sending. Please send them. Please also share. Uh, pushing this link to the people who need it is why we do this. And we cannot do that without you. So get out there and spam your friends. <laughs> spam away. Uh, quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good every week. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work. You can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. Uh, if you're thinking about a transformation of your own, uh, feel free to email hello at theready.com and we will say hello back. Um, and as for you, thanks so much for listening. Now go change something. <laughs> <laughs>